Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The man ripped his knee and he ran on a ripped knee. You're not going to give him that Euros. Nope. Nope. All right, what's going on, people? This is Talking Tactics. I'm Daniel. Half of Double H, half of the most amazing, sexiest man in the world. I love white people. Carry on, let's go. <laughs> Why do we do this? Carl, how are you, man? How you doing? Uh, it's Carl Anchor. I'm tired and I'm fed up. Is everybody good? Are we all right? Are we all right this week? Well, <laughs> so, so surviving, man, surviving. I wouldn't say... I'm clearly okay. Surviving, yeah, mate. Yeah, I'm. You know, you know how people ask, like, "How are you doing?" And you just give them like a blanket, "Okay," or "I'm fine." Like, oh, this week I'm meh. Like, I don't know. I'm not great. I'm not in the dumps or anything. But it's just all right. Week. What's, what's got you feeling some type of way, man? Just life in general. Like, I don't know. I'm tired. I've been thinking just about life and you know, money, future. I was like, you know, I'm actually 27. Like, what does that mean? Is, I'm, I don't Things know. are gonna change. <laughs> hopefully, ho- hopefully for the better. This is talking tactics. What I need to say first: uh, follow us on Twitter. That's probably the best social media platform you can follow us at. H- how do people find us on Facebook? They type in talking tactics. Unfortunately, our follower base is quite low, so the Facebook search doesn't enjoy us. So have a have a look. Have a sleuth. Uh, Daniel will put the uh, link to the Facebook page in the SoundCloud and he will tweet out, give us a like on Facebook as well. Um, share the podcast if you could. Uh, obviously, you won't know if you want to share the podcast yet, but people who listen to us on a weekly basis will probably know that you'll, you'll enjoy the next hour of your life. So, you know, share it, like it, post comments. I believe on SoundCloud there's a way where you can post comments. So do that if you hear something you like or don't like. Uh, we'll try to interact with you that way. On, on iTunes, leave five star reviews. Uh, if they're if they're five stars, we'll read them on the show. So the the link will be in the description. The easiest way possible to do that. Um, send in your questions every week. the The call for questions goes out Monday morning, afternoon, sometime wherever you live, um, sometime on Monday. So do that, and we will get to them. I think this week I mean, it's kind of dead, guys. Like there was one big game that like United Tottenham wasn't. Can I point out something about the league table? Uh, this is the first time Giro, that the... Giro, Giro. Oh, yeah, Carl, Carl. I was just about to bring it up. It's the first time that the top six has actually been the top six. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so the first question of the day is, now that the top six are the air quotes, top six capital letters, uh, do you think it's going to stay that way for the rest of the season? Um, I, Liverpool's a question mark for me because of their defense that we've talked about ad nauseum for a while. Um, but but the other five I think are pretty safe. I don't think Arsenal are going to get caught. I don't think Chelsea are going to slip up that badly. The Manchester's are gone. Spurs too. So Liverpool is my only little question mark. But who's who's the seventh team? Watford. It's not going to be Everton. We all thought it could be. Um, what do you guys think? Um, for me, I I don't, I don't trust Liverpool. 
Yeah. After a comprehensive three 0 win, why wouldn't you say that? Why would you say that? Against Huddersfield. <laughs> it was comprehensive. Against Huddersfield team against that beat Manchester Hodders- United. So you know and also it was at home against Huddersfield. So I don't trust them. I mean Kloppenman may get found out, man. Joe, do you guys th- okay, like we kinda did we touch on this last week? Like, do we think Klopp's going to make it, like, actually to the end of the season? You know, no, yeah, he will. He will. But if he's going to get sacked, it'll be, like, at, at the end of the season, not during the season, I don't think, no. Because, like, I've, I've been hearing a lot about um, Antonio Conte is going to be sacked. Will he make it to the end of the season? Wenger's job is, is safe as any. Pochettino's job is safe. Mourinho, safe. Guardiola's never going to get sacked unless he wants to leave. So the only manager, really, is Klopp from that top six that could get sacked, but it kind of feels like who else are they going to get? Wait, what about Conte? Wait, wait, Conte isn't safe, man. <laughs> I don't well, think well, Conte's no. safe at all. Yeah. Nobody's safe with Chelsea, but I don't think that they'll, they'll sack him. I, I actually don't. I actually feel like he'll get to man, the end of the season. Look, man, don't, don't, don't be so... I think... I don't think it would be a case of bad results. I just think there's an argument brewing because I had a whole thing about Ancelotti. He was at Stamford Bridge... And they are, he's been primed to maybe take over because that's why he comes to say, oh, bullshit, bullshit, when he got asked about the whole Antonio. <laughs> you know, I rate Conte so, so highly for that, for actually calling out the media on, on the bullshit. He said, I've seen this with past managers where the media came out and gave like rumors and speculation about the, the manager's safety, whether it was Mourinho or Vs Boas or Di Matteo, Ancelotti even. It seems to happen with Chelsea. Whenever there's a little dodgy spell, the media realizes that Abramovich wants a winning team. So then it's easy to put in, oh, there have been the scat. Like, do you remember last season, around October time, where the bookies had slashed the odds on Conte to get sacked? Yep. So it happens with Chelsea whenever there's a little shakiness um, in the results. Oh, the manager's going to get sacked. So he called them out on it. It's bullshit. Let's move on and let's talk about the game. So I, I actually feel Conte's relatively safe. Compared to other Chelsea managers I've seen, Klopp's the one though that he, no, no, for me, he's, I have, he's I, on shaky I have, ground. I have a funny feeling Rafa Benitez could make a return to Liverpool. I think he'll make a shocker return to Liverpool. You don't think he's kind of comfortable I at have, Newcastle? Uh, like Newcastle's a great place for him. Like it's no, no, no. You know what it is? I think Benitez he wanted to prove a point, and I think his point is proven by going down with Newcastle, getting them all the way back up, winning the the, the league consolidating them in the Premier League. No one's done that. He's like, look, all right, guys, all, all of you pimps who basically insulted me for my Real Madrid and Inter Milan stints, you know, screw you. So I'd say it's premature to say he's consolidated uh, Newcastle right now. And no, 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 no. That's his, his, his plan. So by the end of the season, I think he would have consolidated them. So basically, because I think they'll finish like eighth or ninth this season. Uh, so. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I love Newcastle, and I think they they truly are a sleeping giant, to use the term. I think Mike Ashley selling up and then being bought by whoever could truly see them become a Europa League constant force in the Premier League. But I don't think... I think, for one, the squad is too small. The current Newcastle squad is far too small. Because mm-hmm. you know, before the season started, we heard of Rafa Benitez's frustrations. And two, they lack an out-and-out goal scorer. Dwight Gale isn't good enough. Marino is a midfielder. Just so they wasn't good enough for Stoke. So to say they're going to finish eighth is uh, ambitious. That means Lascelles is going to score at least 12 goals from set pieces. And I think he's great, but I don't think he's that great. But he says he's an underrated manager. Like, because, you know, I, I basically do rankings tier one, tier two, tier three. Those are like the international WH rankings. But, like, obviously, you have like Mourinho, Ferguson, all in like tier one. But at the very top of tier two is someone like Benitez. As in, he's a guy who you're like, no, this guy's a very good manager. He's not quite top elite, but he is very good. And I just think his management skills will show again for Newcastle. Because for me, outside of the top six, what team are going to finish above them? Really? Southampton? Really? They don't score enough goals, but Southampton should have it. They've got a big enough squad. They've got more options in midfield. Watford, uh, no, nah, I, I don't think so. Watford, Watford are very hard. Watford are very. See, the very interesting thing about Newcastle is Benitez has set them up to play a very compact four-two-three-one. Uh, so Benitez's big thing was he plays four-two-three-one. He was one of the very first managers to play four-two-three-one when he was at Valencia and won La Liga, and he played a slightly chaotic 
side that was quite compact and he brought that to Liverpool and he, you know, he took it to Inter and he took it to Real Madrid. And obviously as football evolved and everyone else started playing 4-2-3-1, Benitez's selling point kind of went away. And now playing 4-2-3-1 isn't cutting edge, but just like, you know, all right, which means, you know, kind of suits Newcastle, who are a team that are, you know, all right. I don't think Newcastle will suffer many heavy losses this season. I don't, I don't see them getting done 4-0 like Swansea or Everton or whatnot. If they do lose, it'll be by one or two. Uh, but I don't see them scoring, you know, as I've described before, they're not going to score a boatload of goals. Mitrovic is too unreliable. Dwight Gale isn't good enough. So they're going to, if they are going to win games, it's going to be by a 1-0 or a 2-0 scoreline. And it is going to rely on goals from set pieces and midfielders chipping in. I think their ceiling is maybe 12th, 10th. They'll be very happy if they finish 10th. But I don't, I don't see them finishing 8th or in that weird, they might finish in the Europa League. What do you guys think about Leicester? Qualifying rounds. I think Leicester appointing Claude Puel is a, is a good move. Southampton fans didn't appreciate Claude Puel's style of play, which was quite drab at times. But Southampton finished 8th and they got to the League Cup final. So it can be somewhat effective. If you remember what Poole did, Puel did with, uh, you know, he's, he won League Arm with Lyon. He took them to a Champions League semi-final. He also won League Arm with Lille in uh, in Hazard's final season at Lille, I believe so. And then after that, he took he took over at Nice. He's, he's got a track record. He's You can set a team up. Uh, and what we know from him at Nice uh, and his time at Lille is he generally leaves his the middle of the field to be quite compact and quite dense and leaves width to be offered by his fullbacks, which didn't quite work out at Southampton. But if you, if you saw how they lined up against Everton, uh, he played a 4-4-2. He unleashed Amari Gray, who looked like he was really enjoying himself. If Messi did that, if Neymar, Neymar if Ronaldo did something, like that would be in a highlight package for years and years and years. <laughs> it was a really good run. He he, he let Damari Gray on. He let Chilwell, Chilwell go, I think. Uh, and he dropped Albrighton and Okazaki. And like the, the, the weight of pass to Mares, so mm-hmm. Mares can hit the cross first time to Vardy, is perfect. He's, he's, yep. he, I'm, I'm not going to go crazy and say like, oh, Southgate should be looking at him for England or whatever. But if he develops into a player, that's a, he's, a, he's a youngster to keep an eye on, I would say. Puel was, uh, is somewhat responsible for Hatem Ben Arthur's revival at Nice. And I think he's going to use Mares in the same way that he used Ben Arthur as the sort of sprinkling of Stardust. In a 4-4-2 formation, you had Mares work as a sort of central like 10 figure. And we always know when Mares is getting the ball towards Vardy, Leicester have a chance. So I think Leicester are going to be fine for the rest of the season. Puel will be, uh, he'll be there for maybe two, 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 three seasons. But I think, you know, I think Leicester will be on track to, to finish or be like in the eighth or ninth positions. Mm-hmm. Do you know what was really interesting is a- a- after the match, do you, you know how managers come out and they talk with the players and this and that? It really looked like Puel and Mares were having like a really interesting conversation. I was like, it's interesting that he has a manager who speaks French. Mm. So he can kind of communicate with him on a one-to-one level that I don't think someone like Shakespeare could. I feel like that kind of communication is maybe something that Mares needs because he's I think we've seen that he's very much a confidence player. So mm. when he so, so when he feels good and when he feels like uh, he has the manager's confidence, he should be able to play better. Which leads me on to someone like Kelechi have hope because I remember was it a podcast or maybe it was something on the Half of Football Hut where you like he should have gone to Hoffenheim he shouldn't have gone to Leicester City are, are you keeping tabs on him because because I thought him going to Leicester where the, where you had Ahmed Musa you had Wilfred Ndidi so he's going to kind of a, a Nigerian collective as it were would should have worked but it doesn't seem like he's getting game time over Okazaki and Barty so are you keeping um, tabs on on your boy. First of all, the, the fact that Vardy, Mares, and Okazaki are playing ahead of Iheanacho is a complete disgrace and, and it's just completely stupid because those three players are all clowns compared to... <laughs> <laughs> second point... Nigerian bias. Is that, hmm. Um, hmm. Second point is that you should have gone to Hoffenheim because Kelechi is a very technical player. He's a very inter- intelligent player. Like, he's... You know, he's very intricate in the way that he plays. His stronger position is actually in the number 10 kind of restrictive role. Enach is better than Mar- Mars, the, the guy, he's, he, he's, he's, he's a waste man. He's, he's overrated. <laughs> you know, the guy he used to be. Well, my thing, is, <laughs> my thing is that, yeah, he, 
he, she, no, he, she, 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 got to Hoffenheim, and I think Absolutely. he messed up. So he needs to leave Leicester City because the team is not of his level. So he needs, he needs to just leave and just go to a team that is really properly of, of his, of his level currently. So yeah, which is not Leicester City. So. Uh, the problem with Inacho, it was outlined by Stephen Tudor, Manchester City fan at Daisy Cutter, who was on here at the start of the season, and he said he has a really poor first touch. So he's not going to be the sort of striker that holds up play and brings others into the game. What you want him to do is be on the end of chances. He's the guy that finishes sentences rather than writes the sentence. Wrong. Uh, Wrong. I I absolutely do not think he can be a number 10. I think one of his main advantages is that he's left-footed, so he can catch defenders unaware with shots. Uh, So what you want to do is you want to make him the, the tip of the spear. You absolutely don't. You want him as close to the goal as possible and you want him scoring goals from in and around the six-yard box. You don't want him playing uh, on the edge of the penalty area at all. And the problem with Leicester is that's what Vardy does, right? Yeah. If you want if you want a rattling centre-forward, that's Jamie Vardy. And the actual is never going to replace that Jamie Vardy because the whole system works because of Okazaki being very, very selfless. So Okazaki does the hard work. He does the pressing. He does. He wins the ball up high. He runs the channels. <laughs> and immediately once he gets the ball, Okazaki gets it to Vardy. Like that's the whole plan is get to Vardy and Vardy's playing on the last man who scores. Vardy's doing the thing that Iniesta's best at. Um, I have to rest respectfully disagree with you. I don't. I mean, I don't. I mean, the analyst you said who said I think he's talking rubbish. No, not to here. Let me. Okay, let me explain why he's talking rubbish. Let me explain why he's talking completely rubbish. Iniesta, when he actually first announced himself to the world was at the Under Seventeen World Cup, where he was played as a number ten. But when you do go to a, a club as big as Manchester City and you're so young as a player, you pretty much have to, you know, toe the, the, toe the line and play in a different position. So the issue is that he was now turned in so much more of a finisher and a poacher, which isn't actually his strength. His strength no. is that he's a number 10. No. Very similar to no. Obi nope. Mikel, who really nope. was supposed nope. to be a nope. 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 midfielder, attacking nope. midfielder. Nope. But Mourinho you turned him into a defensive you midfielder. Do not, you don't turn a player into a poacher. Players get turned out of being a poacher. You don't turn a player into a nine because nines are born. Nines aren't made. Like this is a, this is a widely known thing. Barcelona famously are like, yeah, you can't build a nine. You can't coach a nine. That's why La Masea routinely La Masea doesn't build strikers. They buy them. They're like, oh, we need a striker. Let's buy Suarez. Oh, we need a striker. Let's buy uh, the bold eagle from Bulgaria, Stuchkov. Like you don't you don't turn a ten into a striker. That's not a thing that happens. You can turn a striker into a ten. You're talking like your neck, mate. I don't care about La Masia, La Cusa. That doesn't mean anything to me. I'm talking about this, this situation here, 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 here right now. Don't bring in La Cuca here. And we're not talking about La Cuca. He was a number 10 at the under-70 World Cup, which Nigeria won, by the way, and he was voted the best player. For some reason, Guardiola thought it would be smart to turn him into just a poacher. Guardiola? He's being played on the Pellegrini. You just, you don't. You so, just okay, okay. Who, whoever, I don't give a damn. Guys, guys, we, we have a question speaking of the under 17 World Cup. Last name Rathor asks uh, Under 17 World Cup and the best way to develop young talent in any footballing nation. I feel like he wants to put thoughts with a question mark, but he didn't. So, England won the under 17 World Cup. How many of those guys are fully English? That's just what, what I, I want to know. I'm not, I'm not giving England that, 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 that damn World Cup. I'm not, I'm not giving them that World Cup. <laughs> they not, if, they choo- if they well, choose no, to play no, no, England, no, they're pause, English. Pause, pause, pause. Okay, so are you not going to give France the 98 World Cup then? It's different. That's, that's, that's. Of Why course it's that different because it doesn't fit your argument. <laughs> oh, look, oh, look, 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 look. Well done to England. All I'm saying is that are these guys going to be fully accepted into English society or are they just going to be used as slaves just to do the work in, in football and get there? Are we doing that? We already did this conversation about whether or not you play for your country of birth yeah. or whether or not the country of your parents. I and... think the more interesting question is seeing that the under-17s have talent and can beat, they beat Spain, they beat Brazil. Um, is, is this going to be a catalyst for those youngsters to get into the first teams of their club teams? Because a lot of them, the Phil Foden's, the Hudson Odies, they play for Chelsea, they play for Manchester City. There's um, Brewster plays for Liverpool. Are, the, mm-hmm. are those young talents going to be able to get into their first teams of those top clubs? And I, I don't think so, because you can even look at the under-21s and stuff. They don't even get in from, from, from afar, not being English, obviously. It seems as if the, the, the young players, they're all kind of 
footballers, if you know what I mean. Like, not footballers in the sense that they play football, but footballers in the sense that they're good with the ball at feet. They play with a bit of, of fun and stuff like that. But as soon as they get into the senior squad, they get kind of Englishized, if you know what I mean. It, it doesn't necessarily become about the football, how to play the ball well and all that kind of stuff. They become workers and athletes and you have to run hard well, and do all that kind of typical you, English stuff. So so how do you keep those players playing football? England, England will not win another World Cup for a long time because England's approach... The talent's there, but it's the mentality of the English senior team. Go for it, man. Right, so this is... So to, to give you the full view, England on the 17s, World Cup winners. England on the 19s, European Championship winners. Uh, a mixed-age squad won the Toulon tournament in June. England on the 20s, World Cup winners. England on 21, uh, Euro semi-finalists. So this is an unprecedented era of youth, of talent at youth level. Put this in context, at no point in time has uh, a footballing nation had three of their youth sides win a respective regional tournament. So Brazil had two and Spain have had two at the same time, but at no point in time has a nation had three. So this is historic both for England and on like a youth level. So there is an abundance of talent and there's abundance of talent in the, because we've got a lot of people playing football in this country, so we can do that. And because we've got an abundance of youth players, we also have an abundance of youth coaches and our youth coaches are pretty, pretty good. Can I respond? How do we, how do we make, so this is, this is like unprecedented. Uh, this doesn't normally happen. And now the case is, how do we make sure these players go forward and integrate into the England national team? A lot of it is get them playing game, get get them minutes and get them playing minutes together or as close together as possible. Uh, so something I found particularly interesting was Jaden Sancho, who was one player that was meant to be going to this World Cup, uh, who didn't go because he was bought by Borussia Dortmund this offseason. He's sort of been spotted by Borussia Dortmund as a potential Osman Dembele replacement. And rather than travel with the under-17s, he stayed at Dortmund and has now got more professional minutes in the Bundesliga than the majority of that under-17 side. I'm just getting my phone up right now. I'm getting up some of the statements that uh, the manager said about the World Cup winners. Uh, so Conte has the most World Cup winners of this squad. So he has Mark Galecci, Jonathan Panzo, Josh, George McEachern, uh, Callum Hudson-Odi and Conor Gallagher. Conte said, I'm very happy with our five players. Sometimes Odi has traveled with the first team. I'm happy with the academy because it means our academy is working well. This is good. It's a good result for all the England players. It means football is improving a lot in England. Uh, I'm sure that in the future it will be very difficult to beat the English national team. I want to tell you when I was the Italian Italian coach and you have a great movement behind you, you have this possibility for the next World Cup. The next World Cup, mm -hmm. not being 2018, but 2022. Pep Guardiola said of... Uh, he's, so Pep Guardiola manages three players at Man City. So he's Curtis Anderson... Joel Obadier and Phil Foden. And he said, Foden's played in the World Cup. England will be world, camp will be world champions in that age when that guy will grow and play in the World Cup in future. Uh, mm. We believe the guy has a chance to play in the World Cup against Brazil, against Germany, against who else. It's an amazing opportunity. It'll be great for his growth. Uh, Pochettino said, so Pochettino at Tottenham Hotspur has Timothy Ayoma and Tashan Oakley Booth. And he says from preseason, Oakley Booth was involved because he's a very talented player. He's a midfielder, a boxer box, good quality, good footballer. And I hope he'll be with us for years. I don't know how we got him because he's from Highbury Grove School, which is an Arsenal area. But I know his mum lives around here, so we nicked him. We, so Tashan lives with his mum too. So the interesting thing about Pochettino and Conte is that both of those players have travelled in the first team squads already. So both of those players are both of those players have the awareness of the first team manager. Pep Guardiola has mentioned Foden, uh, but it doesn't look like Foden has travelled with the first team yet. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has Rian Brewster. And Bruce, uh, the interesting comments here are, uh, I don't like to make things too big, but when you score twice a hat-trick, it's difficult to keep it a secret. We had Rian around the first team last season and then he had a bad injury. Uh, he goes, he's fantastic. I have around similar to Bren uh, Woodburn. Um, so again, this is another player who has been traveling around the first team squad in, and the first team manager knows of them. Interesting about Klopp is, Klopp, during his time at Borussia Dortmund, was very, very, very particular keeping his youth players on the reps. So after a while, his under-18 and under-17 Dortmund youth players used to play behind closed doors to stop uh, Manchester United, Arsenal and Liverpool scouts from nicking them. The final quote, I think, is quite interesting. From, so this is, from, uh, this is from the manager of Nia Kirby. 
Nyako Kirby. I'm sorry if I got your first name wrong. Because uh, he plays for Crystal Palace. And Roy Hodgson said this. I very much doubt we can throw an under-17 into our situation at the moment, but I'm delighted for him. Mm. And that's former England manager Roy Hodgson saying that, uh, which sort of underlines the problem. If you're a manager who perhaps has a long-term plan or has, has essentially a, a ground sort of momentum and belief from the higher-ups and the fandom, so if you are a Pochettino or a Klopp to an extent, or Wenger, you have a better chance of playing these youngsters because you're like, no, I'm playing these youngsters. This is a club that, you know, perhaps enjoys it when a 17, 16, 18-year-old kid plays. Um, and I can blood this kid because my job is fairly safe and I can afford giving someone 10 minutes at the end of an FA Cup game. But if you're Roy Hodgson and you're in a relegation battle, but you've also got the amazing Crystal Palace Academy, you can't play him because Roy's got a Roy's got to win games any way he can right now. And he, he doesn't have the luxury of betting in these 17-year-old kids. So you're in this weird position where the loan system is good, but not quite good enough. Because as Chelsea's shown us, you can play quite, you can loan out quite a few of these kids and they, they can get minutes. But they're getting minutes in different systems. They're getting minutes on the different managers. There's no guarantee they're going to get the minutes when they get loaned out. When Chelsea loaned out Lucas Paison to Vitesse, he was doing quite well until Chelsea loaned out Gail Kakuta to Vitesse and then curbed Lucas Paison's development, which is something that can happen. You know, there's no guarantee that if you loan a kid out to a club that that kid is going to kick on because, you know, if you're, if you're on a one-season loan, you're probably living in a hotel. You can't drink, you can't smoke, uh, you can't go out. And the club has no real incentive to play you because this you're not true. theirs. Like, they might have another option that they paid... Two million, four million, however much. If you're going to like a small club for, so we want to see the player that we bought, not necessarily the player we bought in to be a replacement if there's an injury or something like that. Yep, you have to hit the ground running. Like mm -hmm. Tammy, Tammy Abraham at Bristol, he hit the ground running. He scored a lot of goals very early on, and also you know Abraham had the great advantage of very clearly being the best player on that team. If you're just a 17 year old kid, even if you are the best player on that team, you're 17 years old and you're going to be playing against men in the football league who are going to go, yeah, you're well and good. I'm just going to clatter you. It's hard. And, you know, I, I'm, I've, I've said it once. I'm going to say it again. One solution to this... B-teams. Is B-teams in the football league. But also... <laughs> I going to say uh, I very, very, very much understand why fans and members of the football league would absolutely not want that to happen because it would belittle the football league. So, you know, you have B-teams in Spain. You have B-teams in Germany. Uh, and the rules are they can't get promoted and they can't play in cup competitions. But these B teams do have a natural advantage of they can just play some of the perhaps proto geniuses of the future. It's all well and good playing against people your age or like in, in, even if you even, even if you look at England in like the the club academy setup, like Chelsea have won the UEFA Youth League like I think once or twice. So it's not just international competition where English clubs are doing well, but you're playing against people your age. It's a different experience when you're playing against grown men who have lives. Their, their livelihoods on the line. I think playing against actual grown men with things to lose in in the championship or League One or League Two would actually be something that that the FA should look at just to mimic Spain or Germany, as you say, but I don't think it'll ever happen. But have hope. You've been silenced. I apologize. What is your retort? <laughs> okay. Um, what England did, you know, it is very commendable. Again, I still say again, how many of those are actually Nigerian, Ghanaian, and so forth? So those guys actually shouldn't be traitors. Don't be traitors. Go back to actually your damn country. But I digress. There is a huge difference between senior level football and under-17 and under-21 level football. So <laughs> very rude. <laughs> there, there really isn't a, a thread of like, okay, under-17, under-21, these guys were really good. Okay, that couldn't translate into the same level. That, that, that doesn't work. So I think that, first of all, it's about how well these guys actually get ushered into the senior team, how well they, they develop. But them doing so well at youth level means absolutely nothing with regards to how well they can do at, at senior level. Because whether even look at the French team at under-21. Yes, a lot of that will form the, the core of the team at the World Cup. But still, I'm putting Germany over France. I'm putting things... See, the real test, the real test, the real thing is what Germany's Confederations Cup team did. Now, that's mm -hmm. good because those are young players who stepped up to senior level players and they won the damn tournament. And that's why 
Germany's youth system and their and their projects for the future is very scary. You know, because what's it called? Julian Brands, these Drexler like, Drexler. was the captain and he's like twenty three. Like that's a that's a good example, I think. Yeah, no, no. So, 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 I think for me, like, I think with regards to a team who are going to dominate for the future, I think Germany are the only nation was that okay, these guys have proper youth guys. For England, we just don't know because we don't know how well these guys can do at senior level. We know how well these German guys can do. How you are as an under seventeen year old is very different from how you will be playing against 26, 27 year old. And remember, at senior level, the game is far more tactical. Under seventeen, under twenty one. It's about football. Just play. You're you're allowed to be a lot more free. The football is a lot more pure. At senior level, it's tactics, tactics, game management. So we await and we seek. I'm trying to look up the 2010 under 17 Euros because I believe England won that, and that would give us enough time to kind of reflect. Um, let me get the squads. I'm going through Wikipedia, guys. All right, so the French team. Had Umtiti, Pogba, Decore, Sanogo. Um, <laughs> Sanogo. The, yeah. Uh, the, Sp- the Spanish team had Hesse, um, Saul in it. All right, here we go. The English team. All right, so Sam Johnstone, Connor Cody, a 15-year-old Nathaniel Shalova. His record in England under is ridiculous. Andre Wisdom, Will Keane, George Stone, Benneke Fove, Sadio Berahino, Robert Hall, Ben Gibson, Jack Butland, Tom Thorpe, Josh McEachern, Ross Barkley, Connor Wickham, and Luke Williams. There wow. are a lot of names that people thought would pan out. The Connor Wickhams, the Josh McEacherins. It's Is it too early to say Berahino hasn't worked out? Maybe. Um, Benneke Fove, Andre Wisdom. Nathaniel Shalaba just got his move to the club that we think he might spend some time at. So if you look at these... You can really only say Ross Barkley had a good season or two, maybe. Jack Butlin seems as if he's probably the best player on this list. But the rest of them, either either they didn't get their chances. You could say, you know, the McEachern of the world got, you know, screwed by the Chelsea loan system or whatever. But it's dodgy, isn't it? I remember when people thought Connor Wickham was going to be like the next big striker. I think he's at Crystal Palace now, just doing nothing. <laughs> I mean... Under 17, it's a fickle thing trying to discover which of these players are actually going to work. All right. How many people at 17, regardless of profession, like even if it's not just football, regardless of profession, just anything, if you took 30 17-year-olds and I went pick five of them to be the best at what they do 10 years from now, you'd probably get it wrong. Part of this is inadequacies within the English game. So part of this is the Premier League being a global league and, and and not having young English players as a priority right now. Part of this is because the chop change nature of managers in the Premier League and the championship means that even if you wanted to play the youngsters, you're not going to be in charge for longer than three years. So there's no point. Uh, And part of of it is just like bad luck. One of these kids might blow their knee out or end up getting a deal to, to Southampton and it not work out completely or just get to 19 and maybe they discover an extracurricular activity that will sideline them. Like, it's just, it's like 30% hard work, 30% dumb luck, and 30% are the FA going to do anything about it? And the rest is, I don't know, what the fates have in store for us. Uh, so that's 40% luck. And yeah, look, the FA, def- the FA in the Premier League definitely could do more to get these players through. That's almost what you have to gamble on, is that in if we just take that team in particular, that seven years later, that maybe the FA and the English kind of youth system is better prepared to kind of coach this batch. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what you're getting with it all. But, like, do we trust the FA at anything? Considering all the bad words we said about the FA last week, probably not. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, probably not. And also, I, I watched I watched highlights, so I'm not going to pretend as if, like, you know, I'm some expert on this team. But I watched the highlights of the, I think it was Spain. Like, the Spanish kids actually looked like they were under 17. Like, the English kids, you know how people reference, like, if you look at the African teams who win the, the under 17s and that, they're, they're faster, they're stronger, they're quicker, they're this and that. That kind of seemed what the English squad was when, when I watched those, the Spain highlights. It looked as if the English kids or the under 17s had the physical dominance over the Spains of the world or even the yeah. Brazilian team. So, like, what happens when your things kind of balance out and they even out and the Spain kids get a little bit stronger, but they've been practicing their technique 
and they haven't had they, they they weren't able to rely on being bigger, being stronger, being quicker. But what they did have Maybe to do is overrated. say it again. Because Carl, you're accusing us Nigerians of being overrated. <laughs> overage. So don't so don't play double standards, please. I mean, no, this is a legitimate thing Daniel's raising, and this is a thing that some football coaches, uh, some sports coaches, have brought up about why uh, African nations tend to why certain why nations from less economically developed nations tend to do better at youth level. And it's not, you know, the joke is it's because they're secretly playing 30 years, but it's also because the, right, the average Ghanaian man is short and stocky. So it's very, very rare for Ghanaian men to be over six foot. Uh, this is in part due to diet and whatnot, but they build them, you know, we're built short and stocky. So at 17, your average Ghanaian guy is built like he's five foot eight, but he can, you know, this is why quite a lot of the big Ghanaian players of recent times have been box-to-box midfielders. So your Stephen Appiahs, your your Michael Essiens, uh, your Soliani Muntaris. These were pretty short, stocky guys that could run and run and run. If you pack a team of the seven, you know, of them in a seventeen-year-old side, they're going to do all right. They're going to be able to clear a couple. And this is a similar thing. There's been like quite a lot of interesting stuff about Japanese football. And, you know, the, the, the idiom someone said is your average Japanese player, like Japan has the best players in the middle third of the pitch. They just don't have the personnel in the defensive third and the final third because like Japanese society is very much around the concept of the hammer that sticks out gets nailed down. So they very much are selfless and believe in hard work and ethic and short passing rather than having the variance that you perhaps need in attack or in defense to lock that out national body types i don't know if that am i allowed to say that is that too eugenics but like national attributes <laughs> can can be a lot more pronounced at youth level because not everyone's matured yet so like your average japanese footballer at 17 will look a bit will look and possibly play a bit different to your average english player at 17 like this comes down to things like diet and comes down to things like uh, the way things are taught at school so there is greater variance when you get to senior level because there's just greater amount of players to pick from, right? So like there's a cap at youth level, so you can't pick anyone over the age of 17. <coughs> Most teenagers at that age will be between the heights of like this much and this much, whereas once you remove that cap and you go to senior level, then there isn't one. So you've got players that are Peter Crouch's height and you've also got players that are Matthew Valbuena's height. Like you just get greater variance as you expand the pool. But for like the longest time, you would have... You know, there's been frequent talks about playing the English way or playing the Spanish way, which has been based in as much as a cultural identity as body type. Like the average English player would have some difficulties playing in the Spanish way, not only because of the way like we coach players to take the ball fairly static, but because also your average English man is taller than your average Spanish person. So there's just basic things like we've got higher centers of gravity, so we're kind of easier to knock off the ball. I'd like to to underline that I'm not saying any playing style or any nationality style is better than one other than one. I'm just saying at certain levels, these things are more pronounced because that's just how children grow up. Uh, no, but no, but like, I mean, have, have Hope and I have, have had discussions about this. Um, maybe you've been on the podcast, maybe you haven't, where at, well, specifically African nations will take a European manager and they will try to like, hey, let's make our players play like we're Spanish. Let's let make our players play like we're French or play like we're German or whatever. But why, no, why don't you play your way, you know? And, and, I, and I feel like in senior level, going back to the kind of tactics point, like some nations lose their identity trying to be something that they think they should be rather than being mm. what they are. And mm. I feel like that's the key, especially when we look at why hasn't an African nation been to a semifinal of a World Cup? Well, you're trying to be Spain. So when you meet Spain in a quarterfinal, who's going to win? The Spaniards, because they play like who they are while, while you're trying to be the best imitation when you should just be yourself. This is a good point. And this is the thing when England was, you know, after 2008, there was this thing of, should we start playing more like Spain? Should we keep looking for technical players? And then you kind of went, mm, it'd be cool. And we certainly have the capabilities to do it. But also we've got this guy called Peter Crouch and we've got this guy called Andy Carroll and we've got these guys called Raheem Sterling and... Theo Walker or whatever, and like there is a place for kick rush four four two English style football in international football. I absolutely believe England could get to a semi final of a major tournament if they played a very hit and run counter punching four four two. 
rather than chasing uh, this like four three three universality model that's been popularized by Spain and Germany. I think if England just went, we're gonna do what Leicester did and be a very hard working, very set piece heavy four four two side. I think absolutely they could get to a semi final. If only because international football relies a lot more on luck than it does tactics because it's in a condensed amount of time. Mm. Congratulations to the young kids. Hopefully you guys find your feet in your in your senior clubs and we see you guys at later levels and everything works out. And again, there, there's always a chance to revert back to original countries. That's what this I'm is true. I was going to bring that up when we, when we were talking about Tammy Abraham and Solanke. Like, perhaps you find this young 17-year-old who's great at under level, but then when he gets to senior level, maybe he's not good enough to play for England or the England team doesn't want to play like that. So maybe then the Nigeria, the Ghana, the... Kenya, the whomever can come in and, and and take that player. So, you know, you might see them not playing for England. But, oh, but, but wait, for- I mean, but just a very quick point to this thing that we can move on. I just think that, which is a point that you guys were all making, which is that you have to, the whole point of international football is identity, identity, identity. England for so long was like, okay, let's get Ericsson, let's get Fabio Capello, and they were horrible under Fabio Capello. England are deadly and most effective in a 4 4 2 because that's just how. The English mind and brain works is four for two wingers, two strikers, a very balanced kind of um between attack, defense, and midfield. And if England did that with like a Sam Allardyce or a Harry Redknapp or even that Bournemouth dude, England could actually <laughs> be effective. This is this is like what you're taught. So if you're taught from the age of seven mm. to play in a back four over and over and over and over and over again, and then you play in a back four. From the age of seven to so you gotta bear in mind like if you're a footballer you've been doing your job like your job job your occupation right you've probably had that since the age of nine right mm. if you were yeah. a player in england and you are good at football and someone's gone hey you have the chance to be a professional footballer one day you've probably been spotted since about nine so by the time you get to 19 you've been doing this for a decade that's a decade of repetition that's a decade of football games that's a decade of learning that means like by 19 certain standards of set and you you're probably like if you're one of the thousands of players that don't quote unquote make it you're probably also arriving to your peak or like on the way down from your peak right mm. and then all of and then maybe maybe like you spru- sprout through and you've been playing this game of football for 10 years and all of a sudden your manager goes we're doing three at the back <laughs> it's, not like your brain, it's not that your brain can't handle it it's just like imagine any job you've been doing for those 10 pathways years. aren't there yeah imagine do- any job you've been doing for 10 years and then one day your boss went now every third thing you have to do you have to send an email to the person sat to your left of you in fact you'd forget to send that email every now and again mm. like it, it's just no, no, but my, it's just repetition i'm not like no, my, the average english nine-year-old kid would be able to understand 352 if you made them play 352 over and over and over again so in uruguay uh uruguay is a nation 3.5 million the uruguay football team took the approach around about 2008 2011 that every single youth team has to play 433 doing we don't care we will do whatever every single youth team plays 433 so that means if you're playing for the under 19s and then if you're a left back and you're playing for the under 19s at like national level for uruguay and then the guy in the under 21s gets injured at left back i can just move you straight up and i don't have to teach you anything about how the system plays that's mm-hmm. like consistency right uh and a similar thing happened to liverpool i know I know one of our questions right now, uh, Daniel, is in regards to uh, why does Jurgen Klopp keep paying a 4-3-3? Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason Klopp plays a 4-3-3 was when Brendan Rodgers took over at Liverpool, he went, right, when Rafa Benitez was here, a lot of the youth teams were playing 4-3-3. So he went, if I make the senior team 4-3-3, I can bring over players from the under-19s and under-20s who are going to be young enough to understand the game I want them to play and will also seamlessly like go into the system. So like this worked really well for when Raheem Sterling came up from the under from like the under 23s, because he was a pretty much a teenager. He just came over from QPR and he went, right, Raheem, I need you to start next weekend. Can you do it? He's like, whoa, uh, uh, maybe he's like, oh, we're playing four three three. He's like, oh great, I've been doing this since I was 10. I can do this. Mm-hmm. Having consistency in formations from a really young age can help. So like the main reason England are very good at doing four four two isn't because like it's an English way of it's it's, it's yeah. nurture, it's not nature. Yeah, like I find it really hard to play football if it's not a back four. I just don't know where to stand if it's not a back four because <laughs> that's what I've been doing all my life. Every, every single game of football I've played, 
from like the age of nine, and I'm 26 now, has played with a back defensive four. So if you were, if if like I went to go play something league tomorrow, and someone went, we're gonna do this three five four, we're gonna do this three four one two thing, then was in the Premier League, I'd have no idea where to stand, no idea. And it's and it's no surprise that a lot of these clubs at Premier League level, they're gonna try and do three at the back because it's in vogue. And then all of a sudden, you've got Kurt Zuma going like Kurt Zuma screaming at someone in who's the Shawcross? Yeah, just screaming at Shawcross. What are you doing? And Shawcross going, I don't know, man. I've never done this before. Yo, yo, did you see Troy Dini? Oh man. <laughs> oh man. What's wrong with a little squeeze? Man, everybody's overreacting about it. No, 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 squeeze. no. No, it, it, it wasn't the squeeze that got me. It was he was squeezing someone's face and then pushed Shaw Cross all the way over at the same time. I was like, what? He pushed over Shaw Cross and had a man in a chokehold at the same time. It was amazing. Um, like he's only just worked his way back into the starting eleven for Watford and he's done that. <laughs> and I think the FA charged him, I believe. Yeah, he's good. But yeah, let's let's get rid of some of these questions. Not that we don't I've, I've kind of already answered the Klopp one. Yeah, that was from Muneb Farha. So thank you for that question. Have hope. Do you think this is from Pac Mouse? Do you think Perez will keep his promise in not sacking Zidane if they go trophyless? So if, so if you could set the stage for us and then answer his question. So oh, Girona, Girona, Girona. Perez is is a is a psychopath. And the thing with psychopaths is we, we, we cannot predict their actions. So Perez could very easily sack Zidane at the end of the, end of the season and hire me as manager because <laughs> we, we, we just don't know what this psycho is, is going to do because he's, the guy is just, the guy is just is, is mad. Half hope so, playing a, a tight, comfortable 4-4-2 formation. No, 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 mate. After selling Karim Benzema. No, no, no. <laughs> Four three three. Ever since I've been playing player manager, premier manager, football manager, I've always rolled with a three four three or a four three three. And I'm going to say it again: I will never, ever, ever play with a lone striker. It is the most overrated, the most stupid, and the most unfathomable formation. You must give your striker at least two or another striker to to to, to play with. Four three three. Three four three. Just because it says it's a four two three one doesn't mean you play a four two three one all the time. Like most four two three ones, when in possession, become a four three three, or when in possession, become no, no, a four no, no, four two. I, I, I get what you're saying, though. It, it is very true, but there is very much a designated striker. Those midfielders can act as strikers, but they are still doing the work of a midfielder as well. Whereas a four three three, like what Barcelona did. Those three dudes are all strikers. Like, what's it called? Edsel, Henri, and um, Messi, or Messi, Pedro, and Villa were all strikers. It feels as if and you're I, saying I don't this, really therefore you think it's true. Unless it's Mario Gomez. I see, I see. Unless it's Mario Gomez. <laughs> yeah. For, interesting fact about Mario Gomez. Mario Gomez is the most underrated lone striker of all time. Mario Gomez, intensely superstitious man, uh, always has to urinate in the far right urinal. Why do you know this? Uh, I just do. <laughs> Something strange, you know what? Uh, you know, actually, I was thinking about this when I was watching the the United Spurs game. Was if Pochettino decides to play Lorente instead mm-hmm. of Son as as his striker, do they find a bit more joy in that you actually have a target man who can hold the ball up and bring in your your wingers and your midfields? Uh, I think it so. would it would help. Well, it's was... also the fact that can Lorente do that for. 60, 75 minutes against a, man- a very physical Manchester United back four. We haven't talked about the United-Spurs match that much, but I, I wouldn't say Spurs threw that game away. I think, that, you know, Deli Alli came, you know, Deli Alli should have scored. Uh, I think there was like a five-minute period between Deli Alli squandering that gilded opportunity and then Martial eventually scoring that goal. And the Martial goal is a less obvious chance than Deli Alli's chance. So like Deli Alli pretty much just had to keep it simple and he would have scored. Whereas the Martial opportunity came from three senior players from Spurs having a brain fart all at the same time, which is what happens when you're fatigued. Yeah, like that game, that game was, if you look at uh, the expected goals map from MG Cali, he's a associate of Mike Goodman, who's also been on this podcast. Uh, but the expected goals is the exact same thing. It was 1.1 expected goals for either side. It's pretty much Manchester United without Pogba are just as creative as Tottenham Hotspur without Harry Kane. 
so like nil nil probably would have been an accurate result for that game, as would have won one. But it's just the way it goes. You finish one nil, and now it creates a very interesting thing because I don't believe Pochettino's ever beaten Jose Mourinho. Which oh, Pochettino's is- record against the would be top six is it that good? It's very bad. He's, yeah, he's only won one away from home. Perhaps. Which is also which is a thing where which is a thing where like Pochettino eventually will become a very good elite manager, but I don't think he's quite there yet. I think he still needs to work with. Yeah, but hearing a lot of chatter about is Pochettino an elite coach? He hasn't won any trophies. This and that. I don't think he, I don't think it's the he hasn't won any trophies. I think it's he has a lot to do with what he can do with younger players. We've had this similar thing with Zidane. Like Zidane would only work with Real Madrid, right? Zidane is tactics light and his thing like Zidane's major selling point is I am Zin and Zidane so if I tell you to do something you will do it because I am like a World Cup winner a Champions League winner and that at the end of the day no matter how good any of you are at free kicks I'm probably better than you right like mm-hmm. in a similar way the ball failed at Crystal Palace because he was trying to do it to Crystal Palace players I know like you're a weirdo like, if it's very much depend- you have to be the right person for your club which is why I think more clubs should scout their managers like Pochettino's big thing right now is he will find young players and he will build them from the ground up and go, his thing is run really, really hard for me and I'll give you the coaching to turn you 5% above your ability. Whereas Pochettino wouldn't, possibly couldn't work at a PSG or possibly couldn't work at Manchester United right now because there's going to be a 26, 27-year-old player who he goes, run really, really hard for you. And, he, and that player will go turn around and go, no, I've already won a championship or a major title somewhere else. And that will be a clash. And that's not a problem Pochettino has to deal with right now, Tottenham Hotspur, that he might have to deal with one day if he gets to Man United or if he gets to PSG. Um, and, and this is the thing, like a lot of management, like 60% of management is how you deal with players and the 40% is how you set up that team to win a game. Speaking on that, Boris Mason asks, <laughs> how should Arsenal set up to stop City? I think, <laughs> I think, I really think Arsenal shouldn't start Mesut they Ozil. should play all the defenders they have and Olivier Giroud. I think they should, yeah. I think they should start Giroud and they, no, 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 hang on. Tell a lie. Is Danny Warwick fit? I wouldn't think so. And I don't, I wouldn't, Wenger wouldn't play him in this game if he was, I don't think. Uh, because if Danny Warwick was just fit, be coming back. If Danny Warwick was fit, I'd, tell, I'd play Warbeck in, a, in like behind Lacazette and tell him to just man mark the heck out of uh, David Silva. If Arsenal choose. To go toe-to-toe with Manchester City. What's the scoreline? Which they should not do. Which they shouldn't, but they could. If he decides to play Sanchez, Ozil, Lacazette, Ramsey, Xhaka, Bellerin, Kolasinac. Absolutely oh. do not do that. That's a that's a three, maybe... F- that's a that's a two-one at least. Like, there's going to be at least a two-goal differential there. Uh, you know I don't believe in three-one. So. <laughs> you know I don't believe in three-one, so I can't say a three-one. But if a three-one did exist... Probably he said, game. he said, there's going to be a 2-1. He said, it's going to be a 2-1, and it's going to be at least a two-goal differential. <laughs> I was like, he doesn't want to say 3-1. Um, I, I think if I think Arsenal going to this Manchester City game should have Lacazette up top and then have Sanchez and then maybe Ramsey. I don't, I don't think Mesut Ozil should be your plan A because that I think game, he's going to go with El Nini and Xhaka. Yep, I think you're going to have to have a similar system as to what you did against... Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, I think that's that's a game plan. You have to tactically foul, or perhaps you know you have to maybe repeat what you did in the FA Cup semi final. So mm. seed the fact it's not going to be very very pretty, and tactically foul the moment you lose possession and uh, work your set pieces. I think you know you hope Kashani has one of those games where he's impervious rather than one of those games where he has a brain fart, and you hope Petacek remembers his near post. Uh, I kind of want to ask about United Chelsea, but we'll we'll react to that instead of predict it um, next week. So, from Harry Boltler, um, who do you think the genuine relegation candidates are? The five or so teams who would be fighting to survive all season. Tom Victor warned us. Tom Victor was on this podcast at the start of the season. He warned us. But West Ham in a relegation battle right now. Oh, my God. Mikel Antonio. <laughs> that was a blunder, wasn't it? <laughs> I tried to tell you guys like in the WhatsApp, just wait till you see that. Like he could have kept it in the corner, but he, he was like, you know what? Ball, I'm, I'm gonna it cross out. it. There's a lovely gentleman at my workplace who supports West Ham, and he came in and he goes, "You see the game?" He was like, "It was." He was, you know, about to get very angry and describe the game to me. 
And I, I, you know, I went, well, here's the thing about Antonio. Antonio's won you more games than he's lost you. So on balance, it, it should be fine. And then he said, not being funny, right? And you know that's the most terrifying thing an Essex person can say. <laughs> not being funny, right? But he can absolutely say, oh, man, he was so angry. Like, it, it's really interesting right now because West Ham fans are in a very interesting place where a lot of them believe Bilic should go. But they respect the fact that he's been hard done by by the board. I don't want to say he's out of his depth, but he's very clearly taking the team as far as he can go. And there's also the problem that who's going to take over? Allardyce is still out there. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, didn't, they didn't they tell him to piss off? Uh, I, was, I was joking, but I mean, but you, you you can see clearly that Billich built upon. He gave him the team a little bit more attacking license after what Allardyce built defensively. Yeah, and then. Village tried to tinker his own thing, and then he just messed it all up. And, and also, changing stadiums didn't help them any. But to answer this guy's question, Crystal Palace are, are going to be in that. Yep. Um, shall I? Shall we all just pick our five? We can each pick one, and then we'll come up with the other two. So okay. I'm I'm saying. I just said West Ham. West Ham. I'll go Bournemouth. Um, what's it called? Um, Huddersfield. Huddersfield. Okay. Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be in it. They might survive. They're only like four points off safety. But That's what I'm telling you guys. Are. Palace are not. <laughs> Palace are gonna be be fine. And I think the fifth team will be Swansea. So this is this is good for Brighton fans listening. Well, I have a vested interest in Brighton surviving. Um, of course, we all do. <laughs> oh, I mean, we don't. We, it's it's quite clear why. Ohio v one. He asks, <clears throat> this is a quite long one. This is a screenshot. So shout out to you. Where La Liga, Ligue 1, and Bundesliga may lack in monopolization and overall league quality, they make up for in production and pathways for young players, Bundesliga especially. Hence why the likes of Sancho and Reese Oxford have moved. Spain, France, and Germany have all benefited internationally. Question. What are your thoughts on the FA and Premier League combining to create long-term quota systems similar to the three aforementioned leagues that restricts registration of foreign players? He lists stumbling blocks as in Premier League is results-driven and, and the owners have must have patience. So I guess his, his solution to the conversation that we might have had, or I guess his question that could be a solution, is putting in a long-term quota system. I'll tell you what, Brexit. <laughs> if if Brexit happens, we're we recorded on a Monday night, um, and it's just been found in the Football Manager 2018 beta that uh, footballers in the new Football Manager game can come out as gay, which I think is a fantastic move. Um, and then year previously in Football Manager 2017, Football Manager 17 had a number of scenarios factored in if Brexit happened, uh, and would show you what would happen to the football leagues if Brexit occurred. And one of these scenarios, essentially, if you want to buy a player from the EU, they have to apply for a work permit, much in the same way as if you were buying someone from South America, which meant some of your work permits would fail, and therefore you probably have to rely a lot more on your youth team product. There is a possibility out there. There is a scenario on Earth 4, maybe, where Brexit occurs and the Premier League and the FA go, well, we're not going to be able to get the product in to make the Premier League the global force it once was, shall we put in some coaches to try and promote youth players? You know what? I actually think that would fly because there were probably, like, if, if, if you sell it to people who voted for Brexit that we're going to make the league more English, they'll probably be like, all right, I'm here for it. And then, and then there are some people who might have not voted for Brexit who would still want to see youngsters come through their academy who, who would, they would begrudgingly accept it. So yeah, yeah. I could see it happening. There is a possibility that those quotas could come in place in the near future because of Brexit. But it, it just depends. Yeah, quotas could happen, but there needs to be a really good reason for the Premier Because the Premier League makes so, so much money, you're going to need a really good or ridiculous problem, uh, solution to, to install these things. And at the moment, it, you know, good and ridiculous reason to have quotas is Brexit. Sergio Sanchez asks us, what are your thoughts on Rude Hullet? And where do you rank him amongst the great... And I'm surprised Have Hope doesn't mention him since he loves 90s Milan so much. How long do you think it will be until he puts CR7? So how long do you think it will be until CR7 gets scoring again? Um, another screenshot. So I guess if you guys want to sneak in a long question, uh, use your screenshots. So what do we think about Hullet? I, I, I rate Hullet. He's the reason Chelsea are where they are, basically. 
So he got he got that ball rolling. Once um, Glenn Huddle left to manage England, they brought in was it Viali, the Zolas, the Di Matteos, and all that kind of stuff. So I rate Hullet just as a part of being Chelsea legend, Chelsea coach. Was he the first black manager? Couldn't have been. Uh no. Do you know? John Segana and them, um, John John Barnes, they were my managers at a point. John Segana was, before was manager of Fulham. Uh John Barnes was manager of Celtic. And <laughs> oh my god, he was not very good at that. Uh so yeah, so my, my, my thoughts on Hullet are very much through the, the blue tinted glasses that, that I look at Chelsea through. Um, he was fantastic. I if, like he was central force in that uh Euro eighty eight victory for the Netherlands. He was one of the first fantastic foreign imports to the Premier League. So even when he when he was playing for Chelsea, he was, you know, on the wing, but he was clearly one of the better players that in the Premier League at the time. Um there's a great bit in Mundial issue I wanna say four. Uh listen to this podcast with no I'm a big fan of Mundial, which is a football lifestyle website made by uh, some of my friends. Uh so they have an issue uh that came out just before Euro two thousand sixteen. It's got John Stones on the cover. It's got a great John Stones interview with it. Um from David Priest. He's a former Sunderland and Aberdeen goalkeeper. Uh, and he's very, very good follow on Twitter if you have any questions about goalkeeping. He interviewed John Stones in that issue, so I recommend you on that down. Uh, but there's a great thing in there about Rude Goodett and how he was capable. He was one of the very first players in the early era of the Premier League that you could see that could make a pass before you could see it in a stadium. But you'd be watching going, how has he made that pass? I have no idea. Uh, and this was when he was pretty much playing as a defensive midfielder because his knees had gone. So yeah, the highly rate Rude Hullet was an integral part of making the Premier League a great product. Uh, and also, you know, he was part of that amazing Milan side. Mm. He asked, like, you rate the 90s a lot. So what are your thoughts on Hullet? Um, as far <laughs> as Hullet goes, um, no, 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 no. He was very good. Very good. And I, and I think, like, especially what they did for Holland in 88. Basically, I put him like in a similar category as like Johan Cruyff, very good players, but they can't sniff Hossman status, you know, they, they, they can't sniff it. That is ridiculous. So. On the episode we talked about before, Paul outlined this. I don't understand how you can have a conversation about like the greatest people to the football in canon and, and not have Johan Cruyff in there. Johan Cruyff is not sniffing Hossman <laughs> status. Johan <laughs> Cruyff is... Like I, I used to say, ugly. But Joran Cruyff is one of the most influential footballers in his. I don't history. care. I don't. I don't. I, don't I, I couldn't care less. He didn't win the World Cup. That is the minimum. <laughs> and your system is broken. Hossman's status is very, very specific. It's elite, I, and he's not carrying. I guarantee you could talk to all of those footballers and say, "Would you put? Would you consider yourself on the same level as Johan Cruyff? Or would you consider Johan Cruyff the level below you?" And they would this all disagree. With you. No, no, no. Sorry, Johan Cruyff. I respect what he's done. I read. You don't respect what he's done if you don't. If you don't, I read his book. I've read his book about total football. What he's done for Barcelona, it's all great. He is not a horseman. I'm sorry, he's not on that level. Yeah, it amuses me so much how how annoyed people get at have hopes of horsemen. Like, just let the dude have his criteria. Like, it's obviously flawed, but people get so mad. It's oh, it's, it's a flawed criteria. Like it's so flawed that it excludes his favorite player of all time and JJ Okocha. Like it's a ridiculous <laughs> thing. Um, Okocha is in a very specific place, so don't. He's not. He's not been excluded. He's a very specific place, so. But he can never be a horseman because he played for Nigeria. He's the, look, look, Daniel. Don't 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 be fake. <laughs> no African player can be the horseman. You're the man who's like stay what? black, stay black, black power, and yet no. <laughs> No African player can be a horseman. This is why I find it amusing because it's his criteria. Just let him have your own criteria. None of the players from the cradle of civilization can be in there. None of the great black players can be there. Esubio, Esubio can't be in the horseman. Oh my lord. Can lord, I respond? lord. Quickly respond. Let me just quickly respond. Okocha is in a very special category. Same with Ronaldinho. They're in a very special category where they can still even be called horsemen. So they're actually allowed in the exclusive club, but they're in a very special category. That is just a... <laughs> this is ridiculous. He's just making it. <laughs> Make shit up as next you go question, along. Next question, next question. Next question All right. Question. Why the hell does half rate Jesus so highly above average young talent at best? Do y'all agree, Daniel, to look and at Anchorman 616 from Gowan? 
the Gawain 16. Gawain, go and go and watch um City's matches and look at Gabriel Jesus' goal scoring record. If you say young talent again, you don't you don't know where you're talking about. You know about what's interesting guy. though is the goals Jesus scores are reminiscent of the kind of Ronaldo goals that you kind of denigrate in a way. Like he's not dribbling past three, four players and it's all movement, anticipation, not quite tap-ins, but just neat finishes in the 18-yard box. How old is Gabriel Jesus? Probably 19 or 20. How old is, is Christina? Was he, was he scoring at the same free, free, free frequency, both at international and club level at 919? I'm just what? making you defend the point, man. Um, He's making up stuff as you go along, bro. <laughs> Daniel has just asked you a question about aesthetics, and you're giving him a question based in statistical in stat in numbers. He just he's asked you a question of aesthetics. Why do you like Gabriel Jesus when he scores similar goals to Cristiano Ronaldo, who you dislike? And your because answer is one Gabriel, based on numbers. Gabriel Jesus is overall a better footballer than Cristina, who is overrated. I proper hate you. <laughs> Uh, last question. Your best eleven of 2016-17. Um, have we already responded with Real Madrid? I've, and did Cristiano deserve the best awards? That's that's stupid flipping award. I mean, no, yeah, he he's had a fantastic season. He wasn't the best player. He wasn't the best player. He, he he's the poster boy of Real Madrid, who won the Champions League, who won La Liga, and he was in the Portugal side that won the Euros. Did he play in the final? Slightly. Are you kidding me? I refuse to give him that that Euro. He didn't play in the final. Ede won that. Europe, so I'm not kidding me. The man ripped his knee and he ran on a ripped knee. You're not going to give him that Euros. Nope, nope. He didn't play in the final. You're a joke. Hero of the Villains of the Week. My villain of the week is Charlie Adam. He went around the goalkeeper and somehow still hit the post. And, And the reason I'm really giving it to him is because if you remember maybe three, four seasons ago when he did like the halfway line and beat Courtois. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? But then you miss open goals. So you're my villain of the week, Charlie Adam. Plus, I don't really like the way he looks. Who is my hero of the week? It would have to be Girona or something. Oh no, you stole my hero, you prick! <laughs> well, it's it, it has to go back to the kind of the Catalan thing that we talked about before. Like they played Real Madrid, they beat Real Madrid. They they, they would be my hero of the week. Who do you guys have? Girona, man. They're they my Girona, heroes okay. of the week. Villain villain of the week, Spain or the Spanish government. Here the week of just the, the England 17 squad. Well done. Congrats, boys. You've achieved more in, in your teenage years than most of us will ever hope to in our entire lives. So good on you. Uh, and villain of the week is Half Hope. <laughs> Whoa, what the hell? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> With your shocking opinions. <laughs> Danny, don't, so, don't put that villain thing in the intro. Don't put him saying I'm a villain in the intro, by the way, please. That's very rude. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it, but now I might. Recommended reads? Uh, recommended reads. Uh, there's Football 365, which outlines what each uh, Premier League coach of the Under-17 squad said after the win. So mm-hmm. check that out. It's part of what I quoted in this podcast. Uh, and there's a great thing on Bleach Report right now on how Atlanta became the home of MLS how it's been only two or three seasons and Atlanta United have a packed stadium and a great atmosphere and some of the best football scarves you see around. I'll put that in the description. So if you're if you're interested in reading, you can read that <clears throat> after you finish listening to the podcast. Um, yeah, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, follow us on SoundCloud, if you would, please. Uh, share the podcast with people who you know like football or are into podcasts. Where can the people find you guys? Have hope go first. I am at Half Hope Pod. Sometimes you can find me on the streets. Uh, I'm at Command 616 on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and I'm at Daniel to look. Uh, we are talking tactics. Episode 73. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. Cool. Podcast Network.